Lord God, oh Lord, thank you for who you being, who you are. God, we thank you for your words that you inspired. Lord, Father, we thank you for sending your son. Hallowed be your name for that. Oh, Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for leading us, or, or giving us the way to you, showing us the way of holiness, the way of living life that we may have true life. God, minister to your scripture, Lord, to my brothers and sisters here, Lord. Allow your word to come alive, God, and not just today, but throughout the week, God. Give them application, God. Help them to live this out in their lives so they don't just be a word, God, that they're hearing, God, but it's a living word inside of their spirit. Work in them, work in us through your scriptures, through your word, Lord. This is our desire. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Right. So today we're going to be digging into the first petition of the model of prayer. And, and I hope that you're really challenged and convicted by this prayer. Matter of fact, let's just read it and then I'll, I'll, I'll dig into it. Let's just read. Verse 9, I'll speak. Jesus says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name or thy name if you have the King James Version. That your name or your kingdom come, your will be done. We're going to stop there. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We'll say on earth as it is in heaven. And so today as we dig into the first of these uh, petitions, uh, as I was saying, I hope that you're really convicted and challenged as I have been in my own study here. And, and, and part of my conviction comes from the fact that most of my life, I've repeated this prayer, right? I'm sure many of us have, right? We were taught this as a kid, the Lord's Prayer. And so we, we, we repeat this prayer, but I, I never really considered the words. I kind of repeated this prayer ritualistically. You know, it was just, it was part of the tradition. It was what you were taught. And so I would repeat this prayer at night and I would just say it and I, I never considered the words. And then I even remember at one time in my life, I had a prayer uh, process and in this prayer process, I would first pray this model prayer, the Lord's prayer. And then after that, I would get into my real prayer. So, so I thought, or I would begin to ask God for things that I wanted, basically things that I needed. And so that's how I looked at prayer. I'm like, okay, you have to do this model prayer. So first let me get this prayer in. Let me say these words, uh, our father who art in heaven. And once I'm done with that, now I can just go, Lord, you know, and I can start pouring out and just really asking for things. And, and what I was doing, I was just doing rituals here. I, I, I was doing what Jesus says we ought not to do in verses 7 and 8 in the same chapter when he was talking about the pagans, how they would just repeat different words or phrases mindlessly. Your mind's going on autopilot, just speaking out words. And so I would be doing the same thing. I was just doing this ritualistically. There was no heart behind the words that I was saying when I say our Father who art in heaven. I was just saying them because... That's what mama and grandma knew, you know, and uncles and cousins. And that's what everybody says you do. And so you pray this prayer. And, and, and the ironic thing about this, this prayer is that this model prayer, it, it, it actually prepares you to enter into prayer with God. Even though I would say this without understanding and just rattling off words, Jesus in this prayer actually prepares you in this first verse. Our father who else in heaven, 
He prepares us to actually enter into prayer so we don't make this a ritualistic thing. He wants us to realize who we're speaking to. We're speaking to the Father who is in heaven. And remember what uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, God is in heaven, you're on earth, so let your words be few. So when Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, he's really prepping us for prayer. He's prepping us for who we're about to approach. This is God in heaven. And and I kind of liken this to the, the high priest on the day of atonement. When the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the high priest just can just jump in there and say, hey, God, He didn't just walk straight into the holies of holies, but there was actual preparation that he would do days ahead. There was washings that he had to do. There was clothing that he had to put on. It was a real solemn thing. Why? Because he was about to go into the presence of God. So he was making preparation. He was understanding the the seriousness of who he was about to approach. And so there was a preparation in going before God. And that's what our prayer is like it's a preparation we are approaching the lord in prayer we're recognizing this is god yes he is our father but yes this is god who is in heaven so we have to understand that this is holiness who we are approaching we must recognize the, the sacredness the, the the beauty of who we are approaching when we say our father who art in heaven he is set apart we must understand this and so there's, there's a process that must go on in our hearts and our mind as we begin to approach the Lord in prayer, as we begin to utter off these words, our Father who art in heaven. And so Jesus is doing that. He's teaching his disciples as they go to the Lord before they offer up their petition. You must recognize who this is that you are speaking to, who this is that you are approaching So we must come to that understanding as we approach this text. But Jesus in this text, in verse 9 and 10, he he brings us to to the first three petitions that ought to be in our prayer life when we are praying to God. He brings us to the the first block of petitions, if you will. There's there's blocks here. And this first block, verse 9 and 10, they deal with God. And so we see here in these texts, he starts off by saying, hallowed be your name. This is God focused. Then he says, your kingdom or thy kingdom come. This is God focused. Then he says, your will be done. All of these you see are God focused. Thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. So when we look at these petitions, the first of our petitions, we see that Jesus is very God centered in our prayer. He's very God centered in teaching us how we ought to pray. It's not man-centered thinking about us, but Jesus is showing his disciples, you and I, people who are followers of him, that in our prayer, we have to be God-centered, where God is truly first in our prayers. Showing us that this has to be the first thing in our life. We must remember that this is God. It is him who should be the center of our heart, the center of our prayer. God first. And, and part of me doesn't, as I was talking to Pastor Brian on our meeting, part of me doesn't even like using the phrase God first because God first has become such a cliche in our society. I hear people who don't know Jesus, who, who believe that there's a God somewhere and they'll, they'll talk to me and be like, yeah, man, I know. Just keep God first, bro. Just keep God first. And, and it, it is so common. And, and what I've come to understand when people who have not um, came into a relationship with Jesus. When they say to put God first, that what they're saying oftentimes is, 
make sure one, I, that I pray and to make sure that in all my decision making, I'm thinking about God. And that is in a sense that it, that is what it means to, in some sense to, to put God first, but to put God first actually is a little bit more than that. It's deeper than that to put God first. According to Jesus with this first petition, it starts with our desires. It starts with our desires. Putting God first starts with putting God first in your desires. See, because when we go to the Lord in prayer, oftentimes when we go to the Lord in prayer, we are asking for something, right? We are making our petition before God. We are asking for something. We are either asking for somebody struggling with the door here. Come on in. When we are praying, we're, we're, we're often asking for something, right? So we're, we're praying for whether it's money for a tight situation. We're praying for physical healing. We're, we're praying for peace of mind. We're praying for strength. We're praying for a job. We're, we're, we're often praying for different things. We, we want God to do something. And even if you look at uh, verses 6, 7, and 8, when Jesus talks about the pagans and their prayer practice, he says that they would repeat the same thing over and over, thinking that this is going to reach God's ear and God will answer their prayer or their need. So even in that circumstance, sense with the pagan example that Christ has given us there's a need there that they want so they're praying over and over and over and even when you look at our model prayer here all of the the words of our model prayer they're all petitions they're all things we're asking for or praying that God will do so so when it comes to our prayers we are often asking God to meet this desire that we have to meet this need this 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 thing that we really want so we're we're going to God because we believe that he is able so we are going to him asking him to do something because we have this desire for something in our life but what Christ shows us here in this text and hallowed be your name, he shows us that when it comes to the desires of our heart, when it comes to the things that we are wanting, the things that we are petitioning God for, that the thing that should be priority in our life should be that God's name be hallowed, that his kingdom come. And that his will be done. Those are the priorities of the desires of our heart, Christ is showing us. These are the things that we should be longing for. It is not so much always us first, but it's, it's God first. These are the things that should be on our heart when we go to the Lord in prayer. See, what Jesus is doing with these first set of petitions, he's setting the priority of prayer in our life, the objects that should be um, on our hearts when we are praying. See, if, you, if your prayer life is examined, I got to ask you this, this question. If your prayer life is examined, I got to ask you, would these three petitions be at the top of your list? If we examined your prayer life, would thy kingdom come, thy will be done, hallowed be your name, would those be at the top of your prayer list? Would they be the priority when you wake up in the morning and you're praying to God, do the things that you pray for have anything to do with God's name being hallowed? Do they have anything to do with his kingdom coming? Do they have anything to do with his will being done on earth as it is in heaven? You got to ask yourself that because that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples to do. And we say we are disciples of Jesus, right? We're followers of him. And if he is teaching us something here. I gotta, we have to ask ourselves when we're going to our knees in prayer, what is the subject? What is the substance of our prayer? Is it us? Is it man-centered? Is it you-centered or is it God-centered? Is it his kingdom? Is it his will? Is it his name being hallowed? Jesus shows us that 
That is something that we have to desire and want when we go to God. Because when we go to God, we're desiring something. We're wanting something. And he's showing us that this is what we should be wanting. This is what the heart, this is the heart of God. As believers, we should want what God wants, right? And he's showing us here that it is for his name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. Now, today we're not going to hit all three of these. We're just going to focus on hallowed be your name or be thy name. And so we'll, we'll, we'll get these other ones. But with this phrase, hallowed be thy name, this word hallowed, it, it's a word that it, it comes from the Greek word hagiazo, which means to separate or to, to, to treat as holy, to sanctify, to cut, or it means to cut also, to cut and separate, to be apart from all other things. So when you see this word hollow, it's coming from that Greek word holy. This word is also translated other places as holy and, and sanctified. So that's what it means when it says to hollow be thy name. But this word hollow is not a word that is really common in our English language anymore. I know I, I never hear it. I, I don't say it. Um, the only time I ever hear the word hollowed is when I'm watching a sporting event and there's a sporting commentator and it's referring to like some football field or some arena where a, a famous person walked on. And they'll say Lambeau Field where the Packers play, right? They'll say this is hollowed ground or they'll talk about Madison Square Garden where all the great fights and basketballs and they'll say this is hollowed ground. Muhammad Ali walked on this ground. Uh, Patrick Ewan walked on this ground. This, this ground is hollowed and so for the longest I thought hollow was just something that was only related to sports because that's all I, I really heard it spoken of. But that's not how Jesus is using it here. Jesus, Jesus is not rooting for any team here other than team Jesus or team God. When he says to hollow be your name, what Jesus is getting at here to hollow God's name is to treat God as supremely valuable, to, to treat God special above everything else. That is what it means to, to hollow God's name. It is to treat God more valuable than anything else in the world. He is totally separate from anything else. You love him different with the love that you love your family members. He is separate. He is special. He is mine. That is hollowing the name of God. And when it says the name of God, it's not referring to an actual name. They're not talking about the letters of the Hebrew alphabet or anything like that. It's not the actual name. There's nothing special about the name itself, but it's talking about the identity of the person that is attached to the name. That is what it means when it says God's name. It's the person that's attached to this name, not the letters. It's nothing special in the letters themselves, but it's the person. It is the, the, the thing that is attached to this name. For example, when we pray in the name of Jesus, you know, when we say our prayers, we say in the name of Jesus. When we say that, we're not saying there's something special about the name Jesus itself or Yeshua. There's, there's nothing special in particular of that name. That was a common name in the first century. It is not nothing special in that name per se. But we're saying that we're, we're, when we say Jesus or in the name of Jesus, we are associating that name with a person of power, of authority, his character, his that is what we mean when we say in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, we're referring to the person, the person. And, and a great example of that is in Acts 4. I want you to turn here with me. Go to Acts chapter 4 and look at verse 7. So you can see what it means when it says the name, the name. So here in Acts 4. Seven, 
Let me give you some context here. We have Peter and John. They heal a man who, who was, who was lame. They heal this man in the name of Jesus. They, they do this, this great thing. And, and, and the people are, are amazed that this lame man is healed and, and, and they're, they're wondering what's going on here. And so the, the religious rulers, the status quo, they come in and they come to Peter and, and, and John and they're like, hold on, whose name or whose power did you heal this man by? So look what it says here in, in Acts. Chapter four, this is the, the religious leaders, the high priest are here. They have them, uh, Peter and John, and look what they ask. And when they find out what's going on, they says, verse seven, it says, when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire by what power are in what name have you done this? Do you see what's happening here? They want to know by what name and that name is associated with power because what's it the name of, of, Yesh, uh, of uh, Yahweh? Or is it the name? Is it Jehovah? Are you doing this in the name of, of, of Belzebub? Are you doing this in the name of Diana? What name, what power, what authority are you, did you do this act in? See, they're, they're understanding that a name is associated with a person, with the power of a person. So they're, so they're asking that question. And then Peter says this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. You see what he's saying here? It is Jesus the Nazarene. This is the one that God raised up. So he's identifying the Jesus that he's talking about. He's not just saying Yeshua or, or any just Jesus around there, but he's saying, no, I'm talking about that Jesus that you crucified, whom God raised up. We did this by his power and his authority. So when they say a name, we're referring to the individual, Jesus. We also see this in the Old Testament. The name of the Lord. Psalms 8 1 says this. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who has displayed your splendor above, above the heavens. So it's talking about the splendor of God. The name of God is associated or attached to who God is. They're not talking about just a particular name, but this is who God is. Psalms 910 says this. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. Trust comes from establishing a relationship with a person, with a being. So they're saying that your name, they're talking about God. They're ascribing his name to his character, his person, who he is, his power, his authority. So Jesus in our text here, when he's, when he's telling the disciples, hallowed be the name of God, he's saying you have to treat God. This is God you're speaking to. You should be desiring that his name be holy. You should be desiring that his name, who he is, that God is treated as special in, in all the earth. So to treat holy, that's what it's meaning and what he's coming to when he says to hallow be your name. That is what he's teaching his disciples. Now, I want to make one thing clear. When we hallow the name of God, it is not as if we're making God's name hallowed or making God hallowed as if he's not holy are special already and we're doing something to bring them to completeness. No, it, it, what he's saying here is to treat God's name as holy. 
That's the problem. God's name is already holy. God is holy for who he is. He's perfect and complete in himself. The problem is us humans, we don't always treat his name as holy. We don't always treat God as being this holy being who deserves all of our praise and all of our attention and all of our life. We don't always treat him as holy. We treat God sometimes as a common thing. So it's like Jesus is showing his disciples here. And the number one thing you must do above all things before you begin to walk this life is you should sanctify the Lord or treat him holy to make him holy. And a part of treating God holy or treating his name holy is keeping his word and keeping his commandments. That is what it means. That is what it is a part of because his word is a part of who he is. And so when I keep his word, I am treating him as holy. I'm treating him as special. I'm treating him as something different from above all things. When I hollow the name of God in this way by keeping his word. That's why when you go to the beginning in the garden with Adam and Eve, they didn't hollow the name of God. They profaned the name of God by disobeying. And we see what came about him or became about their situation. They were not hollowing the name of God. They were not treating the name as holy and separate, being obedient to God's word. But they were treating his name as a common thing. That is what it means to profane the name of God, to treat him as just a regular little old thing, not something that is special, but to treat him as you would treat whatever. And that's how they treated the word of God. They didn't keep his commandments. So my brothers and sisters, you and I, we must hollow the name of God by cutting out sin in our lives. We must hollow the name of God by pursuing holiness and righteous living, by keeping his word. That is how we begin to hollow the name of God. That is how we treat God as something special and above everything else in this world. Because if we don't do that, we can easily end up like the children of Israel were in, in the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to show you this text here. Turn to me, Ezekiel. I want you to see, get this. So I'll, I'll take my time. because I know Ezekiel is an Old Testament book and it may take us some, some time to get there. So please turn with me to Ezekiel 36. And I want to show you what profaning the name of God looks like compared to hollowing the name of God. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel. 36, we're going to look at verse 22. Remember, hallowing God's name. I, would, I just want to show you an example of a people who didn't hallow God's name and how it looks. They profane the name of God. And if we're going to be the lights of the world, we have to hallow the name of God. So look at here, verse 36, 22. He says this, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. Look what he's saying. I'm not doing it for your sake. Look at why I'm about to deliver you. Look why I'm going to do such and such a thing. He says, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. So where they went, they didn't hollow the name among the nations. They actually profaned the name of God. They treated God as a just a regular old thing. They didn't treat him as something special. He said that you profane the name of God. You didn't make it holy. You didn't hollow it. 23 says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you 
in their sight. So you see what's happening here with Israel. God has sent Israel. He allowed them to go in the midst of the nation. And they were supposed to treat God as holy so that the world would see this holy God and who he is. But as opposed to treating God as holy, as opposed to hallowing the name of Yeshua, they profaned his name by their acts. They profaned his name by their deeds and their ways. They didn't treat him as a special thing, but they treated him as just a regular old thing. And God said, that is not good. And we are believers of Christ. We are believers of God. So, and we, we have this responsibility of letting our light shine. So we have this responsibility also of hallowing the name of God wherever we go. You have a responsibility to hallow the name of God, to treat his name, his who he is as holy as we go about our lives. We must hallow the name of God. And so you see from the Old Testament that God is concerned with his holiness. And you see the same thing reiterated in our model prayer where Jesus instructs his disciples to hallow the name of God. There's continuity there. Old Testament, he's saying hallow the name of God. Jesus comes on the scenes and says to hallow the name of God. That's continuity between the old and the new. This is a responsibility of the believer. We should treat his name as holy and how we live with our mouth. With our actions, with our faith, we treat his name as holy. And so Christ is instructing his disciples to do the same thing no matter where we go. And I want to challenge you now in this same vein here, treating God's name as holy, hallowing his name. I want to challenge you with this thought. When you are out sharing the gospel or when you have a desire to share the gospel, are you more concerned with that person going to hell than you are that person profaning the name of God, not treating God as holy, disrespecting the ways of God? Are you more concerned with hell? That is something that we really have to think on. See, I know the common thought is that, and I've said it myself, I don't want Christ to return just yet because I have family members that I love as we were praying about. I have family members that I love that are not converted yet. They're not saved. So I, so I, I don't want them to go to hell. So I kind of don't want Christ to return right now, but I got to ask you, are you just as concerned of those same people profaning the name of God? Not treating God as a holy thing. That has to be in your psyche. That has to be in your mind. You have to think of, they're not showing any reverence for the Lord. This is God who is holy. God who is saved. This is the God of love. And if we're not concerned with that, that's a problem. That is, that is a, a problem. See, in the universal church, we have this tendency to get so consumed with sin and the consequences of sin that we forget the holiness of God. We forget that his name should be hallowed. Some of you are saying, Jerome, but what do you mean? We're doing that because we do believe his name is hallowed. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I'll just give you a perfect example. When I was in youth ministry, um, when I was in youth ministry, I remember we had a conversation because some people in the ministry were more concerned with the youth having unprotected intercourse and catching an STD consequences, so to speak, of sin, more than that youth disobeying the commandments of God. 
See, it's really easy to get caught up into the consequences of sin. We're more concerned, oh, they might get a baby and it could ruin their whole life. But we're not thinking about this is God that they are profaning. This is God whose word they're just stepping over. This is God who they are treating like a common thing. There's no reverence there. There's no fear for this holy, holy God. We have to think on these things. Because if you, if you, you look at Romans 1 guy, it was a problem. In Romans 1 21, Paul says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. They did not treat God as holy. They did not hollow the name of God. And because they dishonored the God, dishonored God, God's active and passive wrath was allowed to come upon him. Why? Because they were treating God just as a common thing. They were not, they were, God wasn't nothing. It wasn't a big deal that he was creator. They was creator of the universe. It, it was just like he's whatever. So it matters how God's name is treated. It, it matters if God's name is hollowed. We should care about people. It should bother you that the person that is out there just living a reckless life, no, having no regard for God, that should bother us. That God's name is not being hollowed in their life. It, it has to bother us. So am I saying that it's wrong to think about hell, to have that as some type of motivation when we preach? No. But what I'm saying is, if your main focus becomes hell, then you have just turned a God-centered gospel into a man-centered gospel. Well, now all you're concerned with is fire insurance. You turn the gospel to just fire insurance. You're not even bringing in the glory of God. This is God that you are transgressing against. So we have to have balance in our approach to sharing the word of God. It's God's holiness. God's name should be hollow. God should be reverence. You think about Jesus in John 2.17 when he goes into the temple and he begins to flip over tables and they're saying, why? Because he has this zeal for the house of God. This is his God. He, he wants his name uh, treated as holy. He wants his temple as a sacred place. And they were treating his temple as just a regular old pro profane place, a just normal place where you can sell food and stuff and sell different goods. He said, no, you're not treating God's name as holy. You're not making his temple as a holy place. And it bothered him. See, it bothers the Lord when we don't set apart his name as holy. It bothers the Lord when we don't sanctify the name of God. So we have to have a full understanding as we go forward in this life. God is serious about the holiness of his name in this world. We have to think on these things. We have to consider these things. Now, there's another very unique thing about this phrase, hallowed be your name. And that unique thing is that this phrase, hallowed be your name, is an aorist imperative. So you guys are saying, what is that? An aorist imperative. Well, imperative is just a, it's like a command. And an aorist, it, it, an aorist describes the, the tense. And it's, there's no English equivalent of an aorist imperative. So that's why they're really hard to, to translate. But it's a, it's the tense of it's kind of like past tense. It's mostly translated as past tense as something happening or coming to completeness. And so you have an heiress imperative when he says, hallowed be your name. And not only is it an heiress imperative, but it's written in the third person. So that even makes it even more difficult to understand. There's, there's really no equivalent. And just another example of an heiress imperative. I want to show you something. Turn to Matthew chapter two. Matthew two. And look at verse eight, because an heirs imperative also means urgency. Do something right now, complete it, get it done right away. So if you look at Matthew chapter two, verse eight, when Harold is, is, is talking to the, um, 
the uh where am I? Let me get here. Quick. Uh, Matthew 2, oh my book is off. When, here we go, when, yeah, 2 8. When Herod is talking to the, the Magi about the, the baby, in verse 8, look what he says here. He says, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. That is an heir's imperative. He's saying, Urgently go right now, complete it, and get it done. It's not a continual thing, it is a one time, urgent manner. You're saying, Do it now, right away, once and for all. That's an heir's imperative. He's saying, Go find this child and let me know. Do it right now. Another example of that is same chapter, verse 13. When the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and he tells him, verse 13, to get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. That's an heir's imperative. He's saying to get up, do it right now, complete it once and for all. That's an heir's imperative. It means right now, do this thing right away. So when we go back to our main text in Matthew 6, when he says to hallowed be your name, a simple way of translating this verse would be, let your name be treated as hallowed in all the earth. That is a, 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 way, a, a simple way of translating that verse when you look at it in the Greek. It is, let your name be treated as holy right away, once and for all. That is what Jesus is encouraging his disciples to pray. Let your name just speedily, immediately, urgently be treated as holy once and once for all time, completeness. And here's the other special thing about this text here, and we're not going to get into this today, but your kingdom come and your will be done. Guess what? They're all errors imperatives. The same thing. So those verses could be treated, translated as let your kingdom come right away once and for all, or let your will be done right away and once and for all. See, this prayer that Jesus is, is teaching his disciples to pray, when you understand the translation of this, it has some eschatological implications. Now, eschatological is just a fancy word for saying end times, the end times, the end of the earth, how it's going to be when, when Christ returns. Because this verse that he's teaching them to pray is really akin to Jesus teaching his disciples to pray Maranatha. Is anybody familiar with Maranatha? I know we're going to Greek now. We're going to Aramaic. Maranatha means our Lord come quickly. Our Lord come right now. That's what you find in 1 Corinthians 16, 22. He says Maranatha. That means come right now. So when Jesus is saying, come right now with Marinette. He's saying, come God and allow your kingdom to be established right now, right away. Come and bring your kingdom here. Come and allow your will to be done right here, right now, and right away. And so when we're praying, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, we want your name to be hallowed completely and finally for all time and all the earth. Let your name be treated as hallowed. And we know when that event is going to happen. Philippians tells us in two that there's going to be a day when every knee will bow, when everybody will confess that Jesus is Lord, when everybody will submit, when Christ's return is that day when God's name will be fully hollow, people will recognize the holiness of who God is and when he's going to come. And so Jesus is encouraging his disciples along with Marinette to pray that his name will be hollow completely once and once and for all. And that has to be desires of our heart. 
that we want God's name to be completely hallowed once and for all. He's like praying, Maranatha, come, Lord, come, Jesus, come and establish your kingdom on this fallen earth, God. Come and establish your will on this fallen earth, God. God, come and do that. We're praying. We want it. Want God's name being hallowed. And why is the believer praying this? Because it does, it bothers him when God's name is not being hallowed. It, it bothers him with all the wickedness that is going on in the world. So it is our desire to say, God, come, come and just transform. God, come and just allow heaven and earth to collide and just be complete. Come, God, so sin will no longer be rampant. Come, God, so murder will no longer be here. God, come, so rape will no longer be here. God, come, so drug addictions and all alcohol addictions. So that is no longer here. It, it bothers us. So we want his kingdom to come. We want him being hallowed. We don't want his name being treated as a common thing out of disobedience of people not keeping his word, not treating him as holy, not hallowing him. We want to see his name hallowed. And that is our desire and our prayers to see this, that his name is hallowed throughout the earth in our lives. And it must be a real active desire and is hallowed be thy name because the default position of our heart is to be like the hypocrite in verse five of Matthew six. The default position of our heart is not to want to hallow God's name, but it's to hallow our own name. That is the default position of our heart to use God for our own glory. See, we, we, we spend our lives trying to hallow our own name. We spend our lives trying to separate our own name for our own praise so that people may look at us. And that is what's happening with the hypocrite in five. They, they wanted to use even prayer so that they would draw attention to themselves. They were hollowing their own name. They were hollowing themselves. And we live in a society that teaches us to hollow our own name, to treat our name as sacred and holy. And, and, and you get that no matter whichever means you have to. If you got to do something shady or crooked and illegal, if it's going to set you apart and make you great, the world encourages us to do it. But Jesus is saying, no, for you disciples, your desire is not for your own name to be hallowed. Your desire is not for you to receive the glory, but that God's name will be hallowed. That is your prayer. That is your desire. That is your priority. When you go to your knees, you want your desires that your God's name, who he is, will be hallowed in all of the earth. That is our desire. That is our desire when we pray, hallowed be your name. And guess what, my brothers and sisters? We here have more reason to hallow the name of God even than more than the people that sat there on the mountain and heard Jesus do it. Why? Because we have a full understanding of the gospel. We have all these other pages of the New Testament scripture. We have a fuller revelation than Nate did. You have been already been transformed by the spirit of Christ. You have already had the chains of sin broken off of you. You have already been walking in victory. So you have more reason even than they to hollow the name of God in your life. You have more reason. We've been saved. We've come into a relationship with Jesus. We've seen this transforming power in our life. So we have more reasons to want to hollow the name of God to desire to hallow the name of God, to desire to see his name to be hallowed in all of the earth. Last thing, when I was, in our last trip, we went up to Humboldt, and um, as I'm driving in the car, I look to my right, and it's my mom on the driver's side, and I look to the back, it's my mother-in-law, it's my wife, it's my kids, 
And I said, hallowed be thy name. I see his glory. I know all of that is his glory. That gets me reason right there to hollow be your name. God, you are so holy. As I'm driving on 101, I'm seeing the giant redwoods, and I'm saying, hollowed be your name, God. Hollowed be your name. As I look at my smartphone, and I realize I can communicate with my wife, even if she's in another place, and we can even see each other on a video. I'm not hollowing the name of Steve Jobs. I'm hollowing the name of God who gave the invention. When I go home, and my wife is cooking good food, and it's right there ready for me, I'm hollowing the name of God who gave me a wife who can cook and it tastes good. See, uh, that is how we hollow the name of God. As I'm driving in my car, I'm hollowing the name of God because I could be walking. Hollow the name. Every, we have every reason to hollow the name of God, to treat his name as holy, to treat who he is as holy, to desire that the whole world recognizes the glory of God. That is to hollow the name of God. We want that. That should be in your prayer life. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching them to hollow the name of God. So I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, when you go to your knees, bring this somewhere. This has to be in your prayer life. You have to be desiring this. Jesus said this is what he desires, and this is what he's teaching his disciples to desire. So our desires should be God's desires, and his desires is that his name is hallowed in all the earth. So God, let your name be treated as great and special throughout all the earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, God, allow your word to stay on us all throughout the week, that we remember our responsibility to hallow your name. Oh, Lord, God, that we don't profane your name. Lord, that the world will see you as holy, as glorious, God, more than anything else, that they may come. God, hallow your name, Lord God, in all the earth, God. May your will be done on this earth, God, as it is in heaven. God, may your kingdom come, God, on this earth, Lord God, that you may reign, Oh, Lord God, may you put all your enemies to death. Oh, Lord God, the sin that is in our bodies that comes against us, God, hallowed be your name, your kingdom rule. Oh, God, allow your kingdom power to just come forward in this world, God. We see the darkness, Lord. We look for your return, King Jesus. Oh, Lord, that you may sit on your throne, that we may be forever with you, your kingdom being come, your will being done, your name being hallowed by all people on top of the earth, underneath the earth, in the ocean, in the heavens, everywhere, your name being hallowed, God. That is our desire, Lord. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for showing us the way. Thank you for giving us the instruction to Jesus on how we ought to pray. Hallowed be your name. Amen.